Shortly after midnight on March 13th, Louisville police officers executing a search warrant used a battering ram to enter the apartment of Miss Brianna Taylor, a 26-year-old emergency room technician. The police had been investigating two men who they believed were selling drugs out of a house that was far from Miss Taylor's home, but a judge had also signed a warrant allowing the police to search Miss Taylor's residence because the police said they believed that one of the men had used her apartment to receive packages. Miss Taylor had been dating that man on and off for several years, but had recently severed ties with him. Miss Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, had been in bed, but got up when they heard a loud banging at the door. Mr. Walker said he and Miss Taylor both called out, asking who was at the door. Mr. Walker later told the police he feared it was Miss Taylor's ex-boyfriend trying to break in. After the police broke the door off its hinges, Mr. Walker fired his gun once, striking Sergeant Mattingly in a thigh. The police responded by firing several shots, striking Miss Taylor five times. One of the three officers on the scene, Detective Brett Hankinson, was, uh, who has since this event been fired, uh, shot 10 rounds blindly into the apartment. Mr. Walker told investigators that Ms. Taylor coughed and struggled to breathe for at least five minutes after she was shot. Um, and an ambulance on standby outside the apartment had been told to leave about an hour before the raid, uh, counter to standard practice. As officers called an ambulance back to the scene and struggled to render aid to their colleague, uh, Ms. Taylor was not given any medical attention. It was not until... 12.47 a.m., about five minutes after the shooting, that emergency personnel realized that she was seriously wounded, um, and this was after her boyfriend had called 911. He said on the 911 call, I don't know what's happening. Uh, someone kicked in the door and shot my girlfriend. Ms. Taylor received no medical attention for more than 20 minutes after she was struck. And that's uh, from cited from dispatch logs and uh, the Jefferson County coroner said that uh, Miss Taylor most likely died less than a minute after she was shot and could not have been saved. Um, and at this point is I is disputed whether the, the warrant itself was a no knock warrant. However, uh, based on the police story, that's kind of negated because they they claim they did knock and identify themselves um, on as witness accounts were taken uh, out of 12 witnesses. One said they heard the police identify themselves. The other 11 said they did not. And Mr. Walker has said that he did not hear anything. Um, and also, it's notable that no drugs were found in the apartment. Um and so it goes. 
It took me a long time uh, to record this episode because I really didn't know what to say and and even how to approach it. And then I, uh, or even if it was something I should talk about. And then I reflected on my interview with uh, Miss Andrea Clunder when I did an uh, interview for Podcast Envy. And the purpose of that interview and why she approached me was because she's been exploring uh, podcasts, pivoting uh, during these tumultuous times to address pertinent issues that may or may not be completely in line with what their podcasts are about. This event did not take place in Chicago. However, it highly affected Chicago. We, and if you, I mean, you've read the news, especially if you live here, you know that this uh, murder, along with the George Floyd murder, uh, along with the Ahmed Arbery murder, and I mean the list, they affect Chicago because unfortunately Chicago has a long history of police corruption and uh, police abuse of citizens. Even the Justice Department uh, went so far as to say that the Chicago Police Department has violated the civil rights of citizens, mostly brown and black, in Chicago for decades. This is a part of the fabric of our city, and we have to talk about it, right? Someone has to admit it. Uh, You know, you just gotta, you just gotta eventually be like, oh, wait, wait, police do dirty shit? Yes. Does that mean they're all dirty? Absolutely not. However, There's enough corruption that occurs nationwide in police departments that it it needs to be a regular topic of discussion. So I wanted to get that point across. And this event is, is complex because of all the legal issues surrounding it. No knock warrants. What exactly does that mean? That basically means that the police uh, can come to your home and without announcing themselves without knocking on the door saying police open up they can literally just kick in the door and go in but you have to ask yourself why would we do something like no knock warrants in a society where people can also own firearms for self-protection in the home particularly in the home and mr walker was licensed to have his firearm he believed that an intruder was coming into his home to cause him and his girlfriend bodily harm and he fired his weapon when they entered uh the domicile that in reality right that that's like kind of the textbook purpose of having a gun in the home and so you have to ask yourself, why would we put police in situations where they're 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 possibly endangered by an opposing law, right? Like these two laws are in complete opposition of each other. It makes no sense. So this situation is extremely complex when it comes down to those things, especially once we got the finding of the grand jury and the grand jury decision which made no sense, I think, to anyone and caused a lot of anger and a lot of consternation. And I'll talk about that in one second. But I wanted to get that across that, you know, there are things you have to look at at this situation, but it, that none of that eclipses the fact that when it was all said and done, there was a dead, a innocent, innocent dead woman left in the aftermath. And the reality is this. If she, in the event that anyone in that apartment was not innocent, it is not the police's job to go in and assassinate people for crimes. That's not their job. That's not their purpose. That's not their position. And that's something else that I definitely wanted to get out. And more uh, than anything else, I really wanted to get this idea out. So please, if you don't get anything else from this discussion, pull this. Pull this, quote it, make a meme out of it, share it with your friends. But uh, this situation is not just about a woman and bad police work. It's about systemic practices and failures which demonize and victimize a segment of our society and uphold systems of white supremacy. That's ultimately what this case encompasses and and the fact that you know at each step it seems to be further supported including by the district attorney um 
who is black and people say, well, how can a black man uphold systems of white supremacy? Well, I mean, that's, you, if you read a little history, you go back and look, even in the days of slavery, there were black people who were paid to sell out their brothers, their black brothers and sisters uh, for a position of privilege with the slave owners. Right. That's well documented. It's been documented fictionally. It's documented nonfictionally in books like you can read up on those situations. That was just a fact of the plantation life. Right. If, if the slaves were planning to escape, there were people who were paid um, and given positions of choice to make sure that they told the slave owner, oh, they're plotting something. You might want to set an example. You might want to, you know, say you might want to be ready. And unfortunately, this district attorney, fortunately, he seems to be uh, in that position. You know, he sold out this young lady and her family for a position of privilege. You know, and that's sad and it's infuriating, uh, but that's real. And it happens. It happens all the time. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's not unusual. I'm very much not uh, shocked and appalled by these situations because we've had some situations similar to this. But, you know, it's still not any more uh, upsetting. It's still, you know, it's not still upsetting, so on and so forth. And a couple other things about this case. Um, so by, I mean, I hope none of this is new news, but if it is, welcome to the party. Come to 2020. Uh, we've got punch and pie. It's gonna, it's gonna be great. We appreciate you for, for joining us. Uh, but, um, the grand jury, I mean, and the, the strange thing about this story is that we still have facts coming out. Like this occurred in March. Um, nothing was done initially until like there was a huge public outcry and, and, um, petitions and marches and you know say her name became this huge cry because uh, for whatever reason uh george floyd's murder uh and i'm not saying it's it's not right but george floyd's murder ignited something new and even in the midst of that people were saying well you know brianna taylor this happened before right and we're, we've ignored it and unfortunately i had a, a great conversation with this young lady recently named yasmin and she she encompass this perfectly we even in the struggles that we continue to face um women of color's voices remain muted and their lives are not even uh they're even more devalued than those of their male counterparts i fully believe that and it was interesting because she she kind of put it in this way she goes with with george floyd it was it's the question of will the cop be, uh, you know, will he be punished for murdering this man? And and then the reality is that with the Brianna grand jury decision, there's not even murder on the table. We She wasn't even worth considering being murdered. It, it's want, wanton endangerment of her neighbors. Is, it was a much more pressing issue. Right. We, we've we completely ripped away her humanity. She's not even worth considering that a, that a five bullets went into her body and ended it, you know, ended her life. That's not important. We don't have to talk about that. And, and it's sad and it's infuriating. I was raised by a, a, a family of women, you know, um, my mother, my sister. I was raised by by two strong women. I did not live. Full time. I did not live with another male until I went to college, you know, and I didn't I've not always had the best relationships with my family in particular, but I respect them for everything they've done for me. I know that I would not be here if not for my mother, a strong black woman who worked every day to help me get the things and put me in the places and to learn the lessons that I learned. And so it becomes infuriating when someone wants to rip away uh, the humanity of someone that looks like her or someone who fits, you know, that profile of who she is or who my sister was. So I, I really had to, to get there, but I also wanted to talk on this uh, idea of wanton endangerment. So of the three officers, only one is being, has been indicted. Uh, the one that was fired. The other two are still in the police force. The other two are the ones whose guns, uh, fired bullets that put, struck Brianna Taylor from what we can tell, right? From, I mean, I've been reading so many articles and it's hard to tell. Even like I said, there's hard to tell. Um, 
Also important to note that nobody cams. You know, we spend hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on body cams for officers and they never seem to want to use them. So there's no body cam footage of this event from what we can tell. However, uh, it's important to note, right, Voice, uh, Vice and a couple other news outlets have been uh, sharing uh, the aftermath body cam from the SWAT team that came on scene after the shooting, right? And their body cams, and it's not you know, it's, it's not pretty because it doesn't shine a positive light on the police department. It, it shows a situation in disarray with questionable decision making and questionable tactics. And, you know, my personal belief, as I've read more, as I've looked at the body cams that are available, I'm from Chicago. I'm born and raised in this beautiful city. I'm actually sitting and looking out my window as I record this. However, Chicago has a long history of police corruption. You know, and I've always been fascinated by that. If you're not familiar with the Los Angeles Rampart scandal, I've been, you know, kind of talking about that with friends, because to me, th this situation is indicative of not only the malfeasance of the police department, but also maybe potential corruption, because this situation to me, when you explain it to me, don't even talk race, don't even talk sex. There were two people in the apartment. They thought there were drugs and guns in the apartment. So the police decided to wait till midnight to kick in the door and go get the guns and drugs. They told the uh, ambulance, we really don't need you. They told the SWAT team, nah, we don't need y'all. They kind of eliminated all outside elements as best they could to go and serve a warrant in the dark of night. That to me, Sounds like uh, a group of police officers who think we're going to go get some guns and we're about to go get some money. Now, what we're going to do with that, that's a, that's, you know, that's left to the night. You know what I'm saying? We're what? And even if we kill, kill a couple of people, it is what it is. Now, people look at the movies like Training Day and they think that's fiction. That's not fiction. Those situations have been well documented in police departments across the nation, right? Philadelphia police were planting guns on people. L.A. was basically running a gang that extorted, sold drugs, and sold guns in the 80s and 90s. Chicago had a police commander that was torturing people. These are not made up things. So what makes you think that this police department wasn't doing something shady? And some young lady and her boyfriend got in the way. And then when they find there's no guns and drugs, things explode. Right. Because now we got, oh, we got two dead bodies and nothing to show for it. Right. Because we were going to take the drugs, cut it. We we're going to take the money, give them half and we're going to roll. But we don't even have that. So how do we explain this? Well, we got the warrant. Right. OK, but here we are. That's that's how it sounds to me. You know, it doesn't pass a smell test <laughs> in my neighborhood. You're like smells dirty, smells dirty. OK, you know, let's keep it pushing, though. So but the the, the one officer was indicted on wanton endangerment. So what is, so wanton endangerment is a class four felony, just so we know. And under Kentucky law, right? Cause each state is a little different. Um, in, in Illinois, this would be considered a reckless endangerment, right? But wanton endangerment is a crime where the person wantonly engages in conduct, which creates a substan substantial danger of death or serious physical injury to another person and does so under circumstances manifesting extreme indifference to the value of human life. It's a class four felony. It would also, and I, I think, I, I'm not even sure if this is a class four felony in Illinois or not. I wasn't, I, did, I didn't really have too much time to look at, but I did look up other class four felonies because that would be, you know, uh, other class four felonies in Illinois would be uh, theft. It was a class four felony. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had a friend who wrote me. He goes, I got a class four felony once for an ounce of weed back before it was legal. I was like, okay. Um, assault could it be considered a class four felony. Uh, uh, reckless, was it reckless endangerment of a motor vehicle? Like, uh, and most, and what I did read was that in Illinois, a class four felony is usually, uh, is usually put people, people who get class four felonies are usually put on probation, right? So, okay, so you killed the lady. Or your actions led to the death of, a, of an innocent person. It's eh, a class four, like who, who said that's a class four felony. But unfortunately, now we're finding, right, because one juror has stepped up, right, and, you know, has kind of been, has done something that's never been done before. They say, look, I want to, like, air this out. People should know what was discussed and how it was discussed. And, and now we're finding that there probably wasn't even murder charges on the table, right? No point was there that the district attorney go, Oh, you know what I'm saying? Murder for this young lady's life is also on the table. 
Like we're finding that's probably was not the case. That's ridiculous. But okay. <laughs> so that's wanted endangerment. And, and here we are in the end, in the aftermath to me, I, I, I found, uh, I found in a USA today article, it was talking about the district attorney. Um, and I keep saying the district attorney, I haven't said his name, but I don't think it's important because he's a, he's a douche, but, uh, Daniel Cameron and this article was great. And I, and I'm going to post all anything I reference, I'm going to post in the comments so you can find, right. You always cite your sources. So I'm, I will cite my sources. They'll be down in the episode comments, right? I learned that at St. Xavier university. Beautiful. However, three questions that I found and I was like, yes, did, you know, this hits it perfectly. Because there's the, the three art, the three officers involved, Hankinson, Mattingly, and Cosgrove. So this is kind of like the, the three questions that you should definitely ask yourself and be thinking about as this situation continues to evolve. Because we're far from a final, you know, final uh, finding on, on any of this. And um, OK, but how could Hankinson be charged with wantonly endangering? Oh, so for the wanton endangerment charges, Hankinson was hit with three counts of wanton endangerment. Those three counts were for three bullets that went through the wall of the Taylor residence and endangered the lives of the residents on the other side. Those residents were a man, a woman and a five year old child, if I recall correctly. Right. So those are the three charges because he endangered their lives by discharging his weapon wantonly. Right. Just uh, the Wild West, just swinging it around. And, that's how I think that's how we're intended to picture it. He's just waving his gun in the air and shooting and pulling the trigger and bullets and they're possibly going to hit neighbors. And that's what he was charged with. So how could Hankinson be charged with wantonly endangering three of Taylor's neighbors by shooting into their homes, but not with endangering Taylor? herself right because like i said her life at, at no point does it seem like the grand jury really considered her which is insulting and disgusting so that's definitely something to ask the next question even if mattingly and cosgrove right the two officers who are still um a part of the police department and were there had the right to defend themselves because uh Kenneth Walker fires his weapon when they enter the apartment. Even if they have the right to defend themselves by returning fire against Walker after he shot at them and hit Mattingly, that they have justification to shoot and kill Breonna Taylor, an unarmed person who posed no threat. The grand jury did not consider that question, obviously. And so we shall see what happens as more comes forth, so on and so forth. And the last question, <clears throat> did the grand jury even get to vote on whether Mattingly and Cosgrove should have been charged with any degree of homicide? Or did Daniel Cameron, the district attorney, decide for them that they acted in self-defense? And I think that's going to be one of the most interesting questions um, as this one juror who has now stepped forward and is trying to air out what was considered and what was discussed on the table. I think we're going to find the answer to that question was no, they didn't consider it. They weren't told to consider it. And Daniel Cameron, right, did not do his job, did not do justice by Breonna Taylor or her family uh, or the community or, or the, I mean, it's just, you know, saying he's done everyone a disjustice. It's sad. It's sick. It's disgusting. All right. That's all. And so, whew, man, I could talk about this for, I mean, because there's so many other aspects of this. You could talk about no knock warrants. You could talk about uh, the emergence of Breonna's law, right, which was uh, introduced uh, in Kentucky by um, let me just make sure I get the name correct, uh, by Attica Scott, who is the only black female legislator in Kentucky, uh, which would uh, ban no-knock warrants. Also, it's, in, it's just interesting to point out that Attica Scott, right after this all goes down um, and the grand jury decision was passed, uh, was out protesting with her constituents and she was arrested for rioting <laughs> and was hit with a felony. She got... <laughs> She got a bigger charge than what the cops in this in this case got. Um, and it's interesting because, oh, I mean, it's interesting. So I, I've, I've been to a lot of protests and I've seen a lot of legislators at protests. And I've seen ones that I was, you know, fan of, some that I was not a fan of. But in all my days, I have never seen a politician riot, like, you know, throwing bottles or <laughs> smashing windows. And the fact that the police arrested her, of all people, right? And then hit, hit her with a felony, like, oh, and you were out there rioting. It, it, oh, come on now. 
That's silly. Not only is it silly, it's, once again, it's insulting and disgusting and is meant to simply oppress and intimidate and support the system that ultimately supports white supremacy. She stepped out of line. Get back in line, Attica. That's what they're trying to tell her, right? And we'll hit you with, you know, we'll besmirch your reputation and your name. And we're going to hit you with a felony, maybe give you probation. <laughs> You can't go on, right? Well, you know, you won't be able to go to any legislative trips. We're going to just go ahead and shut it down for you. It's disgusting. And people have to talk about it. And they have to, you have to call out these things. I'm recording this after the, the morning after the first presidential debate. I'm not even going to get into that topic, but you have to call out injustice and things that are wrong when you see them. That's all I'm going to say. So I reached out to friends of the podcast, and I asked them to offer their thoughts on the Brianna Taylor case. I was no more specific than that. I said, I want to hear your thoughts. And and for most of them, I, I got peppered with a bunch of questions. I said, look, whatever you want to say, uh, whatever aspect of the case most speaks to your heart and mind, uh, that's what I want to hear. Because I wanted this to, I wanted to be able to offer voices of fellow Chicagoans. And all of these voices are people from Chicago, who live in Chicago, except for one. And that's actually going to be the first one that I share with you. And that's going to be Mr. Mark Withers. You'll remember Mark Withers from a previous episode of the podcast. If you didn't listen to the episode, go back and listen to it. Mark is amazing. And so like I, I listened to his podcast yesterday, which is called Nerd Cage Live. And I was, I'm just always fascinated more and more every day about how much knowledge Mark, um, Mark possesses. He's such a intelligent dude, you know, like, it's yeah, no, like I, I hate saying I hate saying it. You know, like I hate saying that about people because that, that's like to imply like I didn't think they were intelligent. But like he's just so man. He like he knows so much more than me. I'm just like fuck. What have I been doing my life? <laughs> well, I was reading all the wrong books. But uh, Mark lives in Louisville, Kentucky. So he lives in, in ground zero of where the Piranha Taylor murder occurred. And I wanted to hear his thoughts. I said, you know, because he's he's now living in the midst of a place that is, is in a lot of political strife, uh, social strife. And I want to hear his thoughts. But after that, you'll hear voices of fellow Chicagoans offering their insight into the Brianna Taylor case. Also, before I completely forget please let me tell you about the audio you heard at the beginning of the episode and the audio you're going to hear at the end. The audio that you heard at the beginning of the episode was recorded by me. It was a protest at uh, St. Sabina Church, actually a block away from there at 79th and Racine. Um, the, the voice you hear is obviously the crowd, but also uh, Father Michael Flager, uh, there at St. Sabina. If you don't know Father Flager, you can Google him and, and find tons of information. Uh, he is kind of a centerpiece of the violence prevention uh, movement here in Chicago. Uh, very well respected. Uh, someone I have immense respect for. And so I, I was made sure to head out there. It was the day that the grand jury decision came down. It was that evening. Um, very positive, uh, as peaceful as you could potentially get. Uh, but we went to the intersection near the hospital, very, I'm sorry, near the church, a very busy intersection and basically sat down in the middle of the intersection. Um, and then at the end of that audio, you'll hear him say, it's not very clear. I will work to get better at recording audio in public settings. Um, but he said, uh, you know, one, continue to say her name, uh, Brianna Taylor. And two, uh, make it a point to disrupt something. Right. And for for me, I think something that you as a listener can do is have discussions about these topics. You know what I'm saying? With especially if you have people around you who don't want to discuss politics or don't want to talk about that. Make sure. Right. That That's a great disruption. Uh, as I have told people for years, Thanksgiving, especially if your family is is not a very social justice, equity, diversity, include however you want to put it, uh, minded group. Those events should be very uncomfortable, right? So don't be afraid to disrupt something um, in the, the, the coming weeks because we still have a lot of issues on the horizon uh, in addition to the... And for the audio at the end of this episode, uh, it's pulled from a press conference that was in... Uh, Louisville 
after the grand jury decision. Um, I pulled it from a YouTube page for the KSDK news uh, outlet there. Um, I, I looked up the laws around using news clips and it said that news was was fair use if it's being used for an educational purpose to make a point. As long as you didn't use audio uh, that was kind of outside of the audio necessary for making that point. It's, it's news. It's news. It's all over the Internet. You know, what I'm saying what? <laughs> It, 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 we're using it for an educational purpose, but the per, the voice you'll be hearing is by the of, of the activist uh, Tamika Mallory, and um, I feel like she makes some excellent points um, as far as it pertains to the district attorney. And so I thought I would leave you with those thoughts. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for still being on this journey with me. Uh, go and talk about these issues. And please continue to say her name and say the names of everyone who's been victimized by the system that sits in front of us. I appreciate you. Be good. Do good. And I'll talk to you guys later. Hey, Dion, it's Mark. Uh, Just wanted to kind of share my thoughts on this uh, Breonna Taylor thing. Um, You know, uh, past couple days, I've just been kind of trying to absorb everything that's going on and talking about it with family and with friends and, you know, uh, seeing different reactions, you know, from not only from the protesters, but from people online, uh, you know, trying to take all this in. And I, uh, I keep coming back to the same thing, no matter what. And, uh, you know, in my view, it's, it's as simple as this. I mean, you know, the fact that the neighbors got more justice than the victim of this tragedy tells you everything that you need to know about our justice system today and about how we're valued, about how uh, we are seen uh, in this society you know how uh people who are seemingly intelligent and reasonable and just would rather take the time to try to vilify the victim and try to find reasons why this could possibly be deserved rather than look at it for what it is I mean, it's it, it's beyond um, it's beyond frustrating and infuriating, and it hurts. And um, at this point, you know how how much protesting can we do? How much marching can we do? How much you know? How much of anything can we do before? we actually get any kind of real change. Um, you know, I know that there are people that within the system that are trying to make things better, but, um, I, I think that until the public at large kind of really understands and really looks at things for what they are as opposed to how they want to frame them. I, I don't know that that we're gonna that we're gonna see the change the changes that we need, and um, it's just it's really daunting. So <laughs> living here in Louisville is kind of strange. You know, the past few days, um, you know, a couple of days before you know uh, Cameron uh, had his press conference, started seeing all of the storefronts. Uh, board up all of their, you know, their doors and their windows and everything, um, you know, and it kind of reminded me of growing up in Miami during hurricane season when, you know, you'd board everything up, you know, preparing for a storm. And, I, you know, to to me, I, I can't think of a more apt metaphor. You know, the, there there is a storm brewing. And and I, I think that, you know, that was pretty telling of, of the news that we were going to get, you know, as, as hopeful as we were. But uh, I, I just, I really hope that there is some light at the end of this long tunnel. And, uh, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop looking for it and I hope that you don't either. Good afternoon. Um, my name is uh, Marvana Cash. Um, I'm from Chicago, and um, I was asked to give my perspective and thoughts on the Breonna Taylor case. First and foremost, um, it's very tragic to see black women get killed, um, get kidnapped, and just abused in so many ways. And at the time of Breonna's death back in March, you know, prior to that, we were already mourning and feeling the trauma um, of George Floyd, which is important as well. But I feel that when death happens to black people in America, um, sometimes the attention will be on one person. And when other things are happening, it's easy to experience a sense of erasure. And I feel that black women... Um, that happens to us in a lot of ways and it's it's horrible just to know that this young girl with so much potential and drive and just livelihood in in her in her own workings that her life could be taken away just like that and it's been it's almost six months now and we have nothing to show for it and now with the the recent verdict there was really no justice at all whatsoever that happened to her i feel hurt for her i feel like a not not enough is being done and will likely not get done i feel that there needs to be a massive change in the world we need people that will protect us black women need to be respected we need actual results and not just killings that will happen assaults and no one will be held accountable and it just says a lot to what the police feel that they can get away with and there is a deeply rooted hate we can call it hate we can call it white supremacy we can call it discrimination racism there is a, a big hate out here and privilege when it comes to killing black bodies and I just hope that somewhere out there there is someone God sent that will help us turn this around. You know, there are things that we can do in in, in black communities to help these things, but black women should be protected at all costs and it just it really just shows that we're not safe and what is it going to take for us to feel safe and be safe? Hi, um, my name is Lance, and uh, what can be said about this uh, purposely mishandled and utterly outrageous case that is uh, the justice for Breonna Taylor? Mm, for the sake of, uh, I guess for the sake of Dion and the program, I'm going to try to keep you know, my thoughts short and the profanity to a minimum. Uh, I'll try to be brief. Uh, cutting to the chase, the majority of the purposefully uh, miscarriaged, uh, dereliction of duty, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, this, this failed justice falls on uh, Kentucky Attorney General uh, Daniel Cameron. Uh, Daniel Cameron um, is an Uncle Tom Negro. He does not in any way represent black people. He's not one of us. We do not accept him. He is a disgrace to his people and to humanity itself. Uh, it would be an understatement to say that Daniel Cameron was selective in what information he released to the point of literally misleading the public about key facts in the case, uh, which of course raises serious questions about whether the grand jury was also misled. That's why the attorney for Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, who um, fired at the police during the raid is uh, he's demanding that Daniel Cameron release the evidence that was presented to the grand jury. But of course he won't do that. Um, there's so much, there's so much wrong here. Uh, Daniel Cameron had the audacity to say that this case was simply a tragedy for which no one is to blame. 
the police work in this case was sloppy and the warrant was uh, the warrant service was reckless um, Brianna Taylor is dead because of a cascade of errors, bad judgment, dereliction of duty, all of which are systemic racist malfunctions that occur in predominantly black communities. And it's important that the record on this be clear. Um, this was a no-knock warrant. Daniel Cameron lied about the witnesses. Um, you know, I could go on and on. It was just, it was a clusterfuck. Sorry, I tried not to curse. I'll, I'll close with this. America is racist. It was built on racism. We need to, um, we need a new strategy. We need to infiltrate the government on every level, local, state, and federal. Um, and the only way that we're going to see the change that we want is we need to put in place extremely progressive and liberal-minded pro-black thinkers and leaders in every branch of government. That's the only way we're going to see change. And I'll close with this. George Carlin said, it's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. Yeah, how you doing uh, off the beaten podcast? This is uh, Franklin Boyd, uh, Coach Boyd from uh, I'm the uh, Chicago Public Schools uh, history teacher. And my very good friend, Dion McGill, asked me to comment on the uh, Breonna Taylor uh, verdict. I mean, first off, it's, it's just terrible that, uh, you know, well, here we are in the 20th century, the year 2020, you know, uh, what we would have thought of as, you know, the future. And, uh, you know, we still got archaic, uh, verdicts taking place from, uh, the freaking Civil War. It's, it's, uh, it's a travesty of justice. Uh, you know, I mean, on the one hand, yes, it's, it's great for her family that, uh, you know, they won the civil case. Uh, however, you know, the, uh, civil case is costing the city, is costing that, that municipality $12 million. That's being paid for by the, uh, you know, by the working people. Uh, and, you know, those, those working people are not only, uh, paying for that, they're paying for all the other cases of, uh, all the other wrongful death suits. They're paying for all the other cases of, uh, police brutality. Uh, you know, in the meanwhile, uh, you know, we've got these officers, they're still on, they're still getting pensions, they're still getting paid, uh, they're still getting vacation time. Uh, and on top of that, they, there is no, like, object lesson here. They, they've only been, inconvenience. There's nothing to discourage them from engaging that type of activity in the future. It's terrible. And then we flip the script to the uh, other side of the street and uh, there's more fairness in the civil courts than there are in the uh, criminal courts. And that's, I mean, that, that's a result of the fact that the entire system needs to be torn down. Okay, it's a, uh, I mean, it's, it's a symbiotic system. You know, corrupt cops and corrupt courts. It's terrible, you know. Um, prosecutors, uh, you know, prosecutors need, uh, need, need cases they can easily win in order to get promotions. You know, judges need political support from police unions and the cops and all their, uh, supporters and all that type of stuff. And so as a result, they are lenient on the cops. So they all work together. It's terrible. You know, I mean, there, there is no justice to be found in a criminal justice system. You gotta go to, uh, you gotta go to civil court. And then, of course, who pays? The citizens pay. You know, uh, we need better trained cops. There's no reason, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no reason for a grown man walking around with gun. Uh, you know, I was afraid for my life and then that's like, uh, uh, that, that's a get out of jail free card for like any circumstance. I was afraid for my life. You know, now you have the right to commit murder. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, we, we need better training, better recruitment, uh, you know, and, and better interim training. Uh, hey, hey, this might be an off the radical idea, but you know, if cops had to pay for uh, malpractice insurance, uh, very much like doctors, and every time something happened, their insurance premiums went up to the point where they couldn't afford to be cops anymore. I guarantee you. Hi, my name is Deva Soto, and I'm a friend of Deanne's. I also wanted to express some thoughts and feelings in regards to the recent verdict um, in Breonna Taylor's case. I want to start by saying that I'm heartbroken for Breonna Taylor. I feel embarrassed to her family, and I feel outraged alongside the black community. What I am not is surprised. I'm not surprised that despite holding the expectation of justice, it wasn't obtained. The system that we were expecting it from did exactly what it was designed to do, and that is to protect white pseudo-supremacy and everything that whiteness has persistently felt entitled to. 
frankly, I feel tired of seeing people be surprised, primarily white people, who apparently have not been paying attention, who apparently did not read anything during school, who consistently remind people of color to just obey the law while not following suit themselves. I find it impossible or at least intentional when someone can't seem to see the excess of examples in which the black community has endured this prolonged psychological hijacking by a system designed to kidnap true justice and hide her away from people of color. A system designed to torture recurrently marginalized communities by excluding them from definitions and interpretations of laws and social rules. The goalpost that is social justice or real justice is consistently and again, quite intentionally being moved so that it remains out of reach for people of color. For black people, for Breonna Taylor. In the case of Breonna Taylor, the audacity of those tasks to protect us is beyond cruel. I find myself asking, where are these good guys that people keep mentioning, that people keep defending? Why aren't they speaking up? Why aren't they intervening? Why the hell aren't they, even anonymously, helping us get justice? There's no transparency in our policing and justice system because even what we see being called transparency is just watered-down skim milk. Just because we can see through it doesn't mean it's crystal clear. We need not just the police, but the Attorney General and the FBI to release documentation that they have been holding hostage in this case. We need them to do the job they were hired to do. And if they can't do their job, they need to be fired. Brianna Taylor, just like many before her, deserved justice, and that was not what we got. That is not what the black community got. That is not It seems I exceeded the time allotted, but since I don't have a problem taking up space, here goes. I did want to close the the thoughts that I shared previously with a few directed sentiments. To my white people, no, I'm not going to tell you that these events have happened before. I'm not going to plead with you to look at our history. You already know this fight isn't new. For those of you who are not desperately attempting to hide and deny or thwart the transgressions throughout our history while also engaging and repeating it, I'm going to say this. Do something. Anything, start small, start anywhere, and keep going beyond just reading the anti-racist book you have in your shelf. To my brown people, esta lucha es nuestra. Let us not fool ourselves into thinking that this does not involve us. Our history indicates otherwise. And last I checked, our people is experiencing police brutality too. We must extend our familismo to include our black ancestors and thus fight alongside our black brothers and sisters. We must continue to show a persistent and unwavering, solid, unwavering solidarity that extends beyond complicity with the black community. So vote like you know this. To my black brothers and sisters, please know that I say this with love. I will never know what it feels like to walk in your shoes, even for a second. But I see you. I see the psychological toll that this has taken and continues to take on you, at times extending beyond feeling helplessness and hopelessness. I see you not bowing your head because this fight is far from over. I see you working tirelessly to show the beauty within you because you are far from broken. Don't forget to take breaks. Don't forget to access emotional support. And always, always, Keep your chin up to the sky, like your fists demanding justice. Because Black Lives Matter, y tu lucha es mi lucha. Tamika Mallory. No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. And if there ain't gonna be no justice, there ain't, ain't gonna, gonna be, be no, no peace. peace. You know, I want to read something to you all that I learned of just the day after um, Daniel Cameron's decision. 
It says, it is a great honor to receive the endorsement of the bipartisan Kentucky Fraternal Order of Police. To the men and women in blue, I pledge to be your advocate and your voice every day. When I first got into this race, I did so to bring focus to the public safety challenge of our lifetime, the drug crisis. And there is so much work to be done to fight this epidemic. I am humbled to have this endorsement. And as a chief law enforcement officer in Kentucky, I will work every day to make our community safer and our families and cities, citizens more secure. Half of that, oh, that statement is from Daniel Cameron when he received the endorsement of the FOP, one of the most racist organizations that exist in America. I got time today. And half of that statement was a lie. Daniel Cameron is not here to protect citizens and to make the state of Kentucky safer. But he was honest about one part. And that is that he is an advocate for police. Well, and that he was going to be their voice mm -hmm. and to do whatever is necessary to protect them. And so we learned that he stood, he's a man of his word as it relates to his relationship to police. Mm -hmm. He protected the police. And it did not matter to him one bit that those same officers could have ran in his mama, his black mama's well, house, well, and shot her to death. He's more committed to the white supremacy well, that he is upholding. He mentioned at the press conference, which I thought was quite interesting, that he's a black man. And as I laid and cried and hurt for Tamika Palmer, and for Breonna Taylor, and for Kenny Walker, and for Janaya, who we need to love up on. As I laid there, and I thought about him saying he's a black man, I thought about the ships that went into Fort Monroe and Jamestown with our people on them over 400 years ago, and how there were also black men on those ships that were responsible for bringing our people over here. Daniel Cameron is no different than the sellout Negroes that sold our people into slavery and helped white men to capture our people, to abuse them and to traffic them while our women were raped, while our men were raped by savages. That is who you are, Daniel Cameron. You are a coward. You are a sellout. And you were used by the system to harm your own mama, your own black mama. We have no respect for you. No respect for your black skin. Because all of our skin folk ain't our kin folk. And you do not belong to black people at all.